Blog Talk Radio. Are you ready? This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, what's up? It's Rich, My Take Radio, episode 30, for Thursday, February 11th, 2010. Tonight's intro music was The Omen of Geneva. The artist is Neko Frog One, N-E-K-O Frog, the number one. If you'd like to download that or any of the previous other intro music, feel free to head over to ocremix.org, letter O, the letter C, remix.org, the caller number, as always, is 347-324-3541 to call in and add your two cents to any of tonight's topics. A uh, little housekeeping first, as always. Um, of course, if you've been to MyTakeRadio.com, you've seen the ads that are there. Uh, help me out. Stop by. Click it once in a while. Um, you don't got to buy nothing. You don't got to do nothing crazy. Just click an ad. That's it. Nothing crazy. Don't do it too often because I don't want Google beating down your door. But, you know, when you're there, stop in, click an ad, give, give us a little assistance. Um, if you haven't checked out the My Take Radio forums, what the fuck are you waiting for? <laughs> stop in, talk to some of the other listeners, um, gives me another outlet to communicate with listeners as well. Definitely stop by the forums. You'll be able to talk about some of the stuff we chat about on the show as well as a few other things. Um, right now it seems to be um, a lot of Street Fighter Four discussion and a lot of collectibles discussion, as well as a very, very lengthy post regarding the iPad. So definitely stop into the forums, add your two cents in, and become a part of the forum family. We'd be glad to have you. Um, next week, I will be joined by Angel Thanatos from GirlGamer.com. She's going to be stopping by to give her two cents on the world of gaming. She may even stick around and talk some movies. Um, I can definitely see that she is going to be um, a very interesting guest just based on the bio that she sent me about herself, her real bio, and her fictitious bio. Uh, both bios will be posted on mytakeradio.com uh, sometime this week so you guys can get familiar with her. Um, if you want to l- know a little more, head over to girlgamer.com and familiarize yourself with some of the staff because I'm more than sure they'll be tuning in and calling in as well. That's it for some housekeeping. The- we're going to talk about some of tonight's topics, recap of UFC 109, Detour Belfort out of the main event, a couple of people got released from the UFC, WWE NXT news, the death of Survivor Series, that's right, the rock of the dead, a little Resident Evil visiting the lost planet this year, some Marvel movie news, reboot fever, because that's what it is, and Christopher Nolan and the Superman franchise. So with that being said, let's get into some MMA news to start off. First off, let's congratulate the state of Wisconsin for becoming the 43rd state to adopt uh, MMA regulation. The bill was introduced in September, and it only took five months to approve. The Wisconsin Department of Regulation and Licensing's Boxing Bureau will regulate MMA events, and it looks like the UFC may actually be going 
to going to Wisconsin to do an event. WhyCombatSports.com says that UFC Vice President of Regulatory Affairs Mark Ratner stated that the UFC could make a trip to the state in Milwaukee, Madison, or Green Bay within the next year. So props to Wisconsin. Um, Got to have a little hate for them because, once again, 43rd state to have MMA regulation, New York City, you know, the pinnacle of the fucking world right up there with Los Angeles. We got nothing because Batman is too busy fighting allegations of infidelity and drug use and countless other shits. So while our governor does that, we continue to not have MMA. So congrats to Wisconsin, but I kind of hate you fuckers right now. It's all right, though. Moving on. Um, If you wanted more incentive to order UFC 111, John Fitch and Thiago Alves will be fighting on the card as well. This is in addition to... GSP versus Dan Hardy for the belt. Shane Carwin versus Frank Mir for the interim heavyweight title. Uh, Martin Kentman and Ben Saunders, which was uh, canceled because, not canceled, but um, Martin Kentman isn't able to fight because of a cut he sustained above his eye uh, during training. Needless to say, when I use the term cut, I use the term loosely. It is a fucking axe wound. And I will be putting up pictures on mytakeradio.com this week as well so you can see um, definitely not for the squeamish and it will be interesting nonetheless in addition Nate Diaz will be fighting Rory Markham on the preliminary card Ricardo Almeida is going to be fighting Matt Brown Uh, Fabricio Camoz is going to fight Kurt Pellegrino Jared Hamam and Rodney Wallace are going to lock up Um, Rusimar Palhares is on the card as is Matthew Riddle and of course Before I get into the next bit of news, let's talk a little bit about UFC 109, which happened this past weekend. Um, UFC 109 as a whole was a solid card. It did a lot of great action from top to finish. There was some unexpected performances, which I'll go into. Um, First off, the first fight in the pay-per-view portion of the broadcast was Frank Trigg and Matt Serra, both guys coming off of losses. Uh, The general consensus was that one of those guys was going to get fired based on their loss. Unfortunately, the recipient of that loss was Frank Trigg. Uh, Round one, pretty much, Trigg came out southpaw. Matt Serra was working the body a little bit, Trigg with some combos. And before you know it, big right hand by Serra drops Trigg like a sack of potatoes. Serra beats his face in, and the ref jumps in. So Matt Serra won by knockout in round one. Definitely a great fight for uh, the terror, of course, one of New York's own. And a favorite fighter of mine, definitely excited that he won in such a devastating fashion. It's unfortunate that, you know, Frank Trigg was on the receiving end, but we can't all be winners, and MMA is not a team sport. So definitely props to Matt Serra for the KO. Uh, Dan Miller was fighting Damian Maya. Maya, of course, was coming off that loss he suffered recently. Um, definitely a great fight from start to finish. Dan Miller impressed me with his performance, but... Damian Maya just knew he had a, a solid ground game. He also worked the clinch, and he worked the takedowns a lot, so he ended up winning by unanimous decision. The surprising fight on the card was a preliminary fight that they aired on, on the pay-per-view broadcast between Brian Stan and Phil Davis. Phil Davis, um, honestly, I had never seen him fight, and I was very impressed. He fought very similar to John Bones Jones, uh, very exciting, dynamic dude. You know, he had a lot of spring. He had 
good stand-up, great wrestling, and he just put on a clinic. It was just three rounds of him beating Brian Stan's ass, and he ended up winning by unanimous decision. Um, definitely a guy to watch in the near future, Phil Davis. Um, I'm going to be watching this kid, young kid, tons of potential, just like John Bones Jones. So definitely want to see his next fight. Hopefully it will be on a main card as opposed to the under, the under card. Um, the welterweight fight between Star and there were people booing, which was kind of stupid. Um, but nonetheless, they felt each other out a little bit in the first round. Swick worked uh, the ground takedown to close out the round, and I gave him the first round just on the takedown. Round two, though, ended up um, a heavy exchange between them both, and then uh, Swick came in and hit Tiago with a right, but Tiago countered and dropped Swick with a left hand, and Tiago jumped in and ended up locking in a Darce choke, which was very well applied and very smooth, and choked out Mike Swick. Very good indeed. But um, Paulo Thiago, the, the guy, he came in and he was just all business. He actually ended up closing out in his post-fight interview saying he'd like to be in the UFC video game. So I wouldn't doubt if THQ honors that request and Paulo Thiago comes out as a downloadable character because he had a fantastic performance. Uh, and now the sleeper fight. Besides the Phil Davis fight, Chael Shonen versus Nate Marquardt. Um, the winner was supposed to be facing Anderson Silva. Everybody expected on paper for it to be Nate Marquardt, but Shonen came out, just devastating ground game, just smothered uh, Nate the Great for all three rounds, just beating the shit out of him. He was working the ground game, and he was just putting a lot of devastating pressure while on the ground, just elbow strikes, busting Nate Marquardt open. And, of course... He and you know his victory was unexpected, and everybody's kind of saying that he should get a title shot. You know, a lot of things are, of course, being discussed given what has happened with Vitor Belfort, which I'll discuss later in the broadcast. But uh, definitely a great performance by Chael Sonnen. Um, he did great against Nate Marquardt, and definitely a guy to watch, man. This this kid, he came in, he had a great fight against Yushin Okami in October. And this performance by Nate Marquardt, I think he's against Nate Marquardt, I should say, has definitely made him step his game up and put people on notice. On top of the fact that he's actually running for political office as well. So he's a, a politician and a certified ass whooper. So definitely a great performance by him as well. And of course, the main event was Mark the Hammer Coleman, uh, record of 16 and 9. He was fighting Randy the Natural Couture in the main event. Uh, it was light heavyweight fight. Um, two legends, of course, you know, all the hype going in. But the fact of the matter is that Randy Couture came in there and just put on a clinic. Uh, he used the clinch, which he's, which he's known for, and kept Coleman against the fence. He ended up taking the first round. And in the second round, uh, Couture successfully did a takedown on Mark Coleman, which looked it, when you watch it, uh, it looks like the slowest takedown ever just because of the – I mean, not to say that there – you know, age is a factor, but it definitely wasn't as explosive as you'd expect. And Randy Couture ended up winning by, of all things, submission with a rear naked choke in round two. Um, Randy Couture definitely um, upset the establishment with this light heavyweight victory just because, you know, he's been so successful in his last few fights that people are already talking about title contention. I think a third fight would solidify that. Um, there's rumors that he may fight Rich Franklin 
um, definitely worth looking into. But I, I'd say after the third fight, he should definitely be fighting for the title again, just on the fact that, he, that he's had such great performances for a guy who's 46 years young. Um, of course, it wouldn't be a UFC pay-per-view without Tito Ortiz becoming uh, involved. Of course, it was with Mark Coleman. He was doing his post-fight interview, and I don't know what, was, what Tito Ortiz yelled at him. Coleman responded with a prompt, fuck you, Tito, and I guess Tito responded to that, at which point Coleman responded, anytime, douchebag. So um, definitely very funny. Um, Tito Ortiz is a funny dude, and he always makes things exciting. And a lot of people gave, a, gave shit about the exchange, but there were rumors that Mark Coleman made some improper comments about Tito Ortiz's family, namely his wife, uh, former adult film star Jenna Jameson. Um, of course, Tito did not like that at all and proceeded to, um, according to what was said, he, according to what he said on his Twitter, he said that payback is a bitch. So with that being said, I think part of it was Tito definitely addressing the comments. Another part was him setting up a, another potential fight, which is always good because Tito is always the showman. But nonetheless, a great performance by Randy Couture. It's a shame Coleman didn't have as good of a performance. But hey, we may see Coleman and Tito in the future. Then again, we may not, based on the next bit of news as I run down the list. What ended up happening post-fight with Tito Ortiz, of course, wouldn't, wouldn't go much further than being asked by Dana White how he felt about it. Dana White took the opportunity to respond, and he said, you know, if you think I didn't expect this kind of stuff when we re-signed Tito, I did. I'd honestly tell you, you know me. If he was aggravating me and he was on my nerves, believe me, I'd let you know. And it'd be getting ugly again with me and Tito, but it's not. I'm totally cool. White also thinks that Ortiz did a great job coaching the Ultimate Fighter Eleven, And he said, say what you want about Tito, but Tito's a great coach. He gets it. He likes to get in there and teach things to the guys, and he likes to work them hard. I honestly think Tito Ortiz is a fantastic teacher. Every season that he's been involved in with the Ultimate Fighter has always been one of those things where he's just a phenomenal teacher. It showed with his uh, competition against Ken Shamrock. He showed that he cared about his fighters. He was willing to go in there and exchange with them, go the extra distance, and really help create the next generation of Ultimate Fighters. And I think when Tito retires, he should definitely look into teaching or opening his own school because I think the guy has a ton of potential. He has a lot to teach. And not only that, but he can also teach the the psychological aspect of the fight game really well. I, if it's one thing Tito Ortiz is good at is pissing people off and getting under people's skin. And that's a, a talent that certain fighters really need to learn just because they're way too vanilla in their interviews. They don't make you excited about seeing them fight. It's like why, it, you watch some of these guys and you fucking fall asleep because they're boring. But Tito Ortiz makes every fight exciting. He could be fighting a bum and he'll make it interesting. Uh, of course... It wouldn't be a UFC event without the payroll being released. It seems that the payroll for the night was $944,000. Um, some of these guys got fantastic paydays. Randy Couture made $250,000 um, when he defeated Mark Coleman, who made $60,000. Uh, Chael Sonnen made $64,000, and he also got a $32,000 win bonus. Um, Nate Marquardt made $45K. Paulo Tiago took $30,000 and a $15,000 win bonus against Mike Swick, who made $43,000. Damian Maya took 62 k He got a $31,000 win bonus. 
Matt Serra got a nice payday. He got 150 grand. He got a $75,000 win bonus, uh, defeating Frank Trigg, who made 30k. Definitely a lot of money was made, but $150,000 for Matt Serra for the less than a round's work is just phenomenal. I really am in the wrong line of work, for sure. But um, definitely, the a lot of people can always say that the UFC pay scale is kind of skewed. I honestly think that. A lot of these guys come in and they get their own, you know, they have their own contracts made up, and they make some good money. Nonetheless, some guys get make good money, some guys eh, not so good. But these are the guys that put asses in seats, and as such, they deserve to be paid a fair share. So I'm not going to go into money because I can, I can be on both ends. On the contrary, let's take our first call. You're on the air. Hey, what's up, Rich? It's Jedi. Hey, Jedi, what's going on, dude? Hey, not much, man. Loving the show. Um, hey, dude, I watched this. I watched this last event, and I don't know about you, but um, did it seem like this this event was just kind of like more of like a transition to you? Meaning, meaning like there wasn't really a whole heck of a lot on the line. It just seemed like these fighters were. This was like the next uh, step in their career because, like, in, in this, you see the immersion of of, of Chael Sonnen, and then you see, um, oh gosh, who's the guy who just beat Mike Swick? I forgot his name already. Uh, Paulo Tiago. Paulo Tiago. Yeah, yeah, these two guys who I didn't really care about or really, like, look at as being serious contenders, and now I think they're both deserving of title shots. And, of course, you know, Randy did exactly what I, I thought he would. So there wasn't as much drama, if, like, watching the fights, but I think, like, looking back on it, it was one of those kind of transition points for, for a lot of fighters. Well, you know what the problem is, too? It definitely was a transitionary pay-per-view, but you, you also have to take into account that you're get you have to you're basically you basically get two UFC events this month. You get yeah. UFC 109, and then you get 110 shortly thereafter, which is um, uh, you know Nagara and Velasquez, and that's February 20th. So you know it's it's not that not that far away. You know next week it's another 45 dollars, which in a way frustrated me. But the big setup was that this card was the transitionary card, and then when you look at 110. They got a couple of fights in there that definitely are are going to make you want to order. You know, Naga and Velasquez as your main event, and the axe murderer fighting Bisping would be, right. you know, a, a great co-main event. Joe Stevenson's on the card as well. Keith Jardine's on the card. Merkel Krokop is on the card. So they knew. They knew how to work it. You know, 109, like you said, was transitionary, and boom, 110 is the one that really sets you up for, yeah, you yeah. know, the rest of the year. Yeah, definitely, man. I mean, I'm looking forward to next week's next week's event for sure. Um, yeah, I just wanted your thoughts on that. And then, if you don't mind, I want to ask you a couple of questions because um, sure. a lot of, a lot came out for me is that I'm thinking about what specifically Randy Couture. Like, what do you think he should do next? Because he can't fight. I'm I'm totally in agreement with you that I think he needs one good fight, uh, another good fight before he can seriously be thrown in against Machida or whoever you know Machida or Hua. Because I think that, you know, he's beaten up. He barely beat Brandon Vera, which was controversial. And then he beat up on an old Mark Coleman. Granted, it's Randy Couture, and that guy is, I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of his. And I'm not saying that he has to go up the, the same ladder as some of these other guys do because he's already proven himself. But I really think that he needs to fight like a Rich Franklin or he needs to fight some the winner of some of these other bouts, you know, whether it be Rashad Evans, um, who's already said that he didn't want to fight Randy Couture or Rampage, or, um, you know, some of these other guys in there because he needs to get a fight against a legit contender and not just um, build his resume, his 205 resume, upon the backs of 
these non-contenders, if you get my meaning. Yeah, you're. I understand what you're saying. You want you want a fight that that basically solidifies him getting his title shot because it doesn't make sense if he's beating you know um, geriatrics and tomato cans. Which not that I'm saying it, those guys are, but to, to the common fan, they're gonna be like it's an old guy beating up another old guy. But right. on the same token, him fighting Rich Franklin, Rich Franklin's not doing that well either. So him beating Rich Franklin, while it would be good. It's like, uh, it's fucking Rich Franklin. You know, it's, it's, it's weird. He's in a weird place. If he fought a guy like Rashad, who challenged for the belt, or Forrest right. Griffin, then, you know, then, then definitely. But, you know, Forrest Griffin is fighting Little Nog. But, but I definitely would have liked to have seen Couture and Forrest. Forrest and Couture would have been a great fight. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I just think that, you know, he needs to, he needs to beat one of these guys. And I think he's totally capable of doing it. Um, the only one that I have some, some reservation is I, I don't know how he would fare well against Machida because Machida is that, you know, straight punching counter puncher kind of style, so, sort of like, you know, Chuck Liddell was. And um, I don't know how he would fare well against that. But, you know, I, I was thinking he needs to fight one of these guys, but then hearing rumors of Tito calling out Randy. and I'm, <laughs> Tito, you know, <laughs> I love Tito, man, but I, I'm starting to hate him. The more, like, I see him now that he's back, he's, he's calling out all these old guys and he's, wants to fight all these dudes that he's fought before, and he's just like, all right, man. Like, well, Tito's not stupid. See, see, that's the funny thing. You, you, you are the person that Tito caters to. You're the person who either wants to see him punched in the face or you want to cheer for him, and he knows. That's why I'm saying he's a guy that he needs to teach the next generation of fighters. He's all about the psychological. He generates interest fighting some of the worst guys as well as fighting some of the best guys. He knows yeah, how to do it. The only, the only frustration I have with Tito is that he's great when he wins, but when he loses, it's always, oh, I had a broken leg. <laughs> oh, my skull was cracked. Oh, I yeah. had a kidney fall out. The like last fight dude. was perfect. Yeah, the last fight is exactly that. I'm like, you know, he's all, I'm 100% before the fight. Like, I haven't felt this great in forever. As soon as he loses the fight, oh, you know, I had a C4, C7, you know, where they, you know, blah, 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 going off on these medical things. I'm like, dude, just shut up and say that you lost, all right? You know, you lost. You didn't even fight in the third round. You have no reason to complain. So. It is funny. He should, he should have just been like, you know, Forrest was the better fighter that, that tonight, blah, blah, blah. You know, yeah. I kind of was at 100%, but you know what? This isn't about me not being 100%. You know, just come in there for once and humble yourself. And that way you can gain more fans. But you know what? He prides himself on being, you know, the dick, the, the bad guy of the UFC, which, you know, Brock Lesnar has issue with that because obviously a lot of people feel the same way about Brock Lesnar. Right. Right, right. So uh, so if you don't mind, I'll ask you another one. Um, if, do you see um, – with Mir's performance against against Congo, um, which I thought was stellar, I was really surprised at how well he, you know, how he freaking submitted Congo there in the first round. Um, do you think that he stands? Um, well, how do you see a, a third uh, Mir Lesnar fight going down? What if you could predict what it looks like? Well, the way I see it is, I like I like Frank Mir. He's another guy. He has the Tito Ortiz syndrome. There are days I really want to see somebody smash his face. But right. he knows how to sell fights because he's, 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 such a, he's such a pretty boy meathead that he knows how to sell fights just on that alone. And I, I really think that he's not going to come in there and run through Carwin. Shane Carwin's, you know, the, um, a, a collegiate-level wrestler. He has great ground game. He has size a la Brock Lesnar. I actually think 
that mirrors at a disadvantage because if it was when he fought the refrigerator and he lost, how's he going to fight this guy who has more fights under his belt? You know, not to say that he doesn't have a shot, but I think Car- I, I think I think Carwin may actually take it just because he's hungrier. But Frank Mir's a stalker, and he wants to fight Brock Lesnar so badly, so he may pull something out of his ass and possibly beat Carwin. But if he beats Carwin and fights Lesnar, and Lesnar's healthy and, and ready to rock and roll in July, I don't know, man. I think Lesnar may just come in there and win by fatality this time. <laughs> yeah, he's going to do some power bomb or something. Yeah, um, yeah. All right. Well, that's cool. I thought I had a lot more to ask you, but you know, I know you got your show going on, and and um, hey, man, just want to let you know, the show's great, dude. I, I look forward to it every week. I look forward to all the segments, and I I haven't cared. I haven't given two craps about WWE in like over ten years, and now I start listening to your show, and now all of a sudden I care. So <laughs> thanks for making me a, a fan out of a, out of an entertainment thing that I really don't care about. <laughs> hey, you know what it is. That this is how I see it. You, either, you watch wrestling for one of two things, either to laugh or just be mildly entertained because I've known people that watch wrestling and they've find, they'll find one funny thing out of it. So if you get one or two funny things, then, then you know, you've made a successful transition. So I'm glad you enjoy that. Yeah, man, it's good. It's good. All right, brother, have a good show, man. I'll talk to you later. All right. Thanks for calling. Bye. Peace. Yeah, peace. All right, moving on. Bobby Lashley seems to be at a crossroads. He doesn't know if he's going to continue in TNA and may proceed full-time with his MMA career, especially with the rumblings that his next opponent may be Brett Rogers. I don't think that he's going to be able to successfully um, do TNA wrestling and prepare for a guy that's that dangerous. So definitely if he makes the decision to pursue MMA full-time, I think it's, it's a better avenue for him. I mean, he can always come back to wrestling. He's a marketable guy. He's not burning any bridges. But I think that if he continues on the path he's been going, picking up victories, a fight with Fedor maybe in the future. And I think that he needs to be 100% focused for that because that's the only way you have a shot against Fedor. So definitely props to Lashley. He should be making an announcement about that within the next week or two. We'll see what happens. Uh, UFC released some guys, like I said earlier. Um, of, of those guys that got released, I'm saddened that Frank Trigg was one of them. He was released. He confirmed it via his Twitter and Facebook page earlier. Um, I, I mean, Frank Trigg is a, is, is a good fighter. I'm more than sure he'll, he'll bounce back. He'll, he can go to Strike Force. He can go to any organization. and he'll de- He definitely has a couple of fights under his belt. I definitely wouldn't write him off yet like some people have. So, you know, while unfortunate... It's not the last time we've seen Frank Trigg in the octagon, that's for sure. Um, Tim Haig also got cut, and no surprise, Mark Coleman did get cut uh, based on his loss to Randy Couture, which is unfortunate because I honestly think that a fight between him and Tito would have definitely um, gained some interest and made the UFC quite a bit of money. I think that if Tito would have lost to a guy like – if he, let's say Tito would have lost to Chuck Liddell – I think that Tito would have been great to match up against Mark Coleman just because, like I said, they had the bad blood and because the fight would be interesting to see. Last bit of MMA news, like I said earlier, um, according to Tatame.com as well as Yahoo.com's Kevin Yol, uh, Vitor Belfort is out of UFC 112's title fight with Anderson Silva due to a shoulder injury. Dana White stated that Anderson Silva is going to be on the card, but they have not confirmed a replacement. Uh, rumors are running rampant right now that it's going to be Chael Sonnen 
uh, possibly challenging for the belt. Uh, it's all a matter of medically, is he cleared? Is he going to get a shot? Uh, things of that nature, but I think if anybody should get the opportunity, it should be Chael just because of his performance, like I said, against Yushin Akami and against Nate Marquardt, who was considered the number one contender at the time. So, Vitor Belfort out, Anderson Silva in limbo for 112. So, definitely going to keep an eye out for that in the next few weeks. And uh, last bit of news, um, Efrain Escudero, who had to have an MRI recently for um, what was believed to be a serious injury seems to be cleared to fight Dan Lazan at UFC 114. UFC 114 is going to take place May 29th. The main event for that card as of right now is Rashad Evans versus Rampage. Um, the co-main event is Forrest Griffin fighting Little Nog. Um, other rumored fights are Amir Sudala versus Dong Yoon Kim. Chris Lieben will be on the card. Jesse Forbes will be on the card. And Escadero versus Lazan. None of these fights have been confirmed as of yet but definitely something to look forward to in May. With that being said, we're going to head into some wrestling news right after this commercial break. Sports 7 Radio, if you're easily offended, fuck off. Fuck the party head going, you know, I'm going to kill myself after I kill my wife, and the, the best way I can think of it is to cut, cut, my, damn near cut my legs off. We actually have audio from this, too. Did you want to hear it? Sure. <laughs> That's how we roll on Born Stubborn Radio. Deserve us a spot in hell for that one. BornStubborn.com. Hey, this is Rachel from MMA Hot Stuff, and you're listening to My Take Radio. All right, and we're back. Uh, props to the Born Stubborn crew for sending me definitely a very um, offensive commercial, but definitely amusing to say the least props to soiled and the guys for sending that in very amusing i was a little hesitant to put that up just because it was uh mildly disturbing but you know what i figured it would give a lot of people a laugh and it would break up uh the segments a little bit so definitely props to the crew at born stubborn for sending that in with that said let's talk some wrestling off the bat last week i said that hockey talk man was going to be signing with tna turns out that our buddy fake-ass Elvis impersonator was full of shit. He recently was on the Shoot Radio show on the Blog Talk Radio Network, and he stated that he worked everybody and admitted that they was never in talks with TNA. And, you know, he said that he worked everybody over and that there was no deal. So basically the honky-tonk man clowned everybody on the Internet and pretty much pwned all of us. Fuck him. So... With that being said, he is not going to TNA. He will continue being a fake-ass Elvis impersonator elsewhere. In a little bit of WWE NXT news, for those of you that didn't catch it last week, um, ECW will be going off the air at the end of the month, and it will be replaced by WWE's Next Generation offering, which is WWE NXT or WWE Next. Right now, the basic concept for the series is that it's going to be something along the lines of the Ultimate Fighter slash Tough Enough, where you'll be following some of the new talents, and you'll be able to follow them in and out of the ring. And, of course, you know, veterans will be interacting with these talents, and they'll be using that formula 
to allow some of these new guys to get a little screen time with the fans. I think while on one on one side it's a great idea because it helps this, this new talent get over, on the flip side it makes it look like they're grasping at straws in terms of growing new talent by creating reality-based programming, which they had already done previously with Tough Enough. And in some instances it seems that they're biting off of the ultimate fighter. What they should have done was create WWE NXT as a promotion and just introduce young talent. Uh, don't expect it to be a ratings bonanza when you first do it, but definitely give it at least three months, and that way, you know, you start establishing some new guys, and you can keep a couple of veterans in there to drum up interest. That's the only way. I don't think reality-based programming is the way to go for WWE at this time. They should invest their, their talents and their time into their young talent because they're the future. These guys, I, I have a feeling within the next five years, we're going to see the following. HBK will probably retire. The Undertaker will probably retire because I have a feeling he's going to go 20-0 and 0 at WrestleMania and retire with the belt. Triple H has two kids now with Stephanie McMahon. At some point, I'm more than sure he's going to want to step into Vince's shoes because it's a definite, it's a definite he's going to. So he's going to be out. And a guy like Batista, who's very injury-prone, I don't see him lasting more than five years. Same thing with Rey Mysterio. The only guys you have left are The Miz, MVP, uh, John Cena to an extent, Randy Orton, who signed a 10-year contract. But you've got to continue growing new talent. You have to continue making your product worthwhile. By jumping back and forth and creating all these little things, it, it's really watering it down. And on the contrary, it's just setting you up for failure on multiple fronts. Happened with the XFL. You know, in some, in some respects, it happened with the new ECW. It's unfortunate. I think that the, that the new ECW had plenty of potential. It was just a thing where sci-fi said, look, it's not giving us the ratings we want. You've got to do something. Instead of moving ECW to another network, they took the easy way out and canned it. It's unfortunate, but that's what you have to look forward to with WWE NXT. Jerry Springer will be hosting Raw this coming Monday. I'm more than sure there will be cat fights, lie detector tests, and maybe an appearance by Steve the Bald Guy. So definitely tune in for the train wreck known as Monday Night Raw this Monday. Um, of course, you're asking yourself, ECW gets folded, NXT begins, what happens to the ECW talent? Well, on Raw this week, it was said that all ECW talent will be free agents and they can go to Raw or SmackDown. Um, odds are that they'll probably keep a couple of veterans for the WWE NXT uh, brand. But I, th I think guys like Christian will probably go to SmackDown. Ezekiel Jackson will go to Raw because they're pushing him. Uh, Kozlov will go to Raw. They're pretty much, I think Zack Ryder you'll see on SmackDown. They're going to just break it up between the two brands. I have a feeling that a lot of these guys are going to get lost in the shuffle and we're definitely going to see some people on the unemployment line within six months because it's going to be way too many people to squeeze into uh, two brands that, you know, spread across and pay-per-view. So with that being said, we'll see what happens to these talents within the next few weeks. In a move that TNA should have done a long time ago, their Destination X pay-per-view for March 21st will be dedicated completely to the X division. They will be taking center stage finally for the March 21st pay-per-view. The X Division, for those of you that don't know, is the equivalent of WCW and WWE's Cruiserweight Division, just with far more talent and a lot more cool moves involved. Um, definitely, 
for a pay-per-view called Destination X. It should have always focused completely on the X division. I think TNA kind of lost sight of that the last few years, but I'm definitely glad that they're going back to their roots. There's going to be something, you know, I'm more than sure there'll be an Ultimate X match and a really good um, X division title match on the card. So definitely kudos to TNA for doing something right and giving the pay-per-view strictly to the X division. And now to close out some wrestling news, a moment of silence, because during today's WWE conference call, Vince McMahon stated that after 23 years, the WWE will be dropping the Survivor Series name. As of, the, as of next year, there will be no more Survivor Series. On the contrary, they are going to come up with a new concept, which they have a poll on their site for, and I also got an email about. Uh, Vince McMahon said, and I quote, We think the Survivor Series is obsolete. As far as, the t- as that title is concerned, it, has something, it was something that worked many years ago in terms of a creative standpoint, various teams competing. That really is not advantageous to the consumer now because now they're not looking at what they're buying. They're looking at something far more broad. Survivor Series, yes, many years ago was one of the original four pay-per-views, but it's outlasted its usage, and one of the things in terms of rebranding this year and going forward, that will be rebranded. We will no longer have that title, Survivor Series. So after 23 years, we will no longer see a Survivor Series pay-per-view in November. Of course, with that being said, WWE put up a poll, which you can probably check out on their website, um, asking what types of matches would you like to see. Uh, The choices given were a tournament event, which pretty much said, would you like people to bring back King of the Ring? A battle bowl event, which is pretty much random tag teams competing together. Uh, The the teams would be in a two-ring battle royal with the winner receiving a title match. Sounds kind of promising, but it also sounds a little confusing. Um, A Money in the Bank event just dedicated to Money in the Bank ladder matches, which, of course, would lead to those people cashing in those cases for uh, title shots. You know, I'm more than sure that they saw TNA's success with the Feast of Fired concept, and they applied that to Money in the Bank. The other options they had was a Legends event, uh, which would – allow participants to wrestle against WWE legends from the past, which is fail on so many levels. Uh, A Raw raw Roulette main event, which is just the roulette wheel spinning around and uh, dictating what type of events would be on the pay-per-view. They also suggested one of my favorites, the WCW War Game style event, where teams of five compete in two steel cages. Two participants begin the match, and a new participant is added every five minutes. This process is alternated between teams until all members from both teams are present in both cages. I definitely think that War Games would transition very well into the WWE um, Spectrum and Pay-Per-View universe. I think that's the best thing to do. Um, The other two options they had was a draft event where they would do the draft on Pay-Per-View and have matches, you know, Pay-Per-View matches on that. But I think that the draft should just be something special that's done after WrestleMania and reserved for Monday Night Raw. And last but not least, the other option they gave you was a street fight event, um, which basically consists of main events all being street fights. The one I voted for, of course, like I said, was the War Games event. The only other two I would go for would be the Money in the Bank or the tournament event, which is King of the Ring. So any of those would be perfectly fine. And, of course, like I said, Bobby Lashley is probably going to be stepping away from TNA Wrestling. He posted on his official site, Um, A lot of fans are asking me about my future in wrestling. I will address everything at a later date. Thank you for your support, Bobby.
that's going to wrap up this week's wrestling news, and we are going to head into some video game news right after this commercial break. I wonder what's on tonight, even. Tonight at 10 on your local news. I said to Jesus, Jesus, can you say this is the deal of the century, people? I'm telling you. So, Jason, uh, what, what, I mean, what, what are we doing tonight tumbling with Tumbleweed Tuesday nights at 10 p.m.? blogtalkradio.com Eastern Standard Time. Do you even know? Jason? Jason, are you there? That's our good old buddy Don Anderson, a friend of the show. Uh, he decided to finally submit a uh, little commercial. Definitely a little different, but you can catch Don's show, Tumbling with Tumbleweed, Tuesdays at 10 p.m. on the Blog Talk Radio Network. And with that said, let's talk some video game news. First off, got to give props to the crew from Darksiders. Not only did I beat the game and it had a fantastic ending, but I was conveniently surprised when I received an email saying that Darksiders sold 1.2 million units. Definitely props to Darksiders. It outsold Bayonetta by a pretty decent margin. So props to the crew for a great game. Um, like I said before, Hayden and Han Rondawa will be back probably within the next a uh, few weeks to discuss Darksiders. Hopefully I can squeeze a little bit of Darksiders 2 information. But um, nonetheless, props to them. But Platinum Games and Sega took the opportunity to announce that they had some great third quarter fiscal results. Bayonetta sold 1.1 million units in Europe, Japan, and the U.S. So they feel that that's going to end up making Bayonetta an ongoing franchise. They also sold 5.6 million units of Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Winter Games in the U.S. and Europe. Of course, Sonic and Mario are always going to sell. You know, it's a great kids-friendly game. It's very amusing in the sense that these are the oldest mascots ever, and they continue to move substantial, substantial units. So definitely props to Sega for a great job. Props to the Darksiders for outselling Bayonetta, you know, got to have a little bias for those guys just because they made a great game. If you're tired of Facebook games such as Farmville, Mafia Wars, Vampire Wars, Fish World, Zookeeper, and all the other bullshit, guess what? You're going to be able to play Civilization on Facebook. Not only that, but EA is going to be bringing their flagship franchise to Facebook, that being Madden. Madden is going to be turned into a Facebook app. EA Sports President Peter Moore revealed that the company was looking into launching Madden as a Facebook app. He said that it would make the game more accessible and that the Facebook app would facilitate that by being a simpler experience than the console editions, it would allow people to play, you know, to play more often. They're working with a company called Playfish, and I'm more than sure that that game will be coming to Facebook in the near future. It's really crazy that Facebook gaming is becoming just as prevalent as handheld and console gaming. Like people are actually looking at these numbers and there and there is money to be made. And the fact that EA is actually looking to step into the Facebook arena with something of this nature definitely shows that Facebook gaming is not a, a one-trick pony. So definitely something to look forward to and it may break up the monotony. Um, for those of you that don't want to play any, any of the other Facebook games and are Madden fans, there's a little something for you. Ubisoft announced that they will be developing Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon Future Soldier for the Xbox 360, PS3, DS, PSP, and Nintendo Wii. 
The game is going to be coming out for the holidays of 2010, and a multiplayer beta should be coming out this summer for the 360. If you're interested in playing that, you're going to have to pick up Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell Conviction on the Xbox 360 April 13th in order to try out the Ghost Recon Future Soldier multiplayer demo. And we got to say a special happy birthday uh, to Bejeweled, which turned 10 today. I can't believe that Bejeweled is, a, is fucking 10 years old. I've played Bejeweled on and off as a casual game, you know, at work or wherever for fucking years. Looking at that made me feel really old. The fact that that game is 10 years old. But it's funny because it's such a simple game, and everybody who plays it, it they just don't stop. Between that and Word Twist and Literati on Yahoo and Yahoo Pool, that used to comprise a very large chunk of my day. Just because they were great games, you'd hop in and hop out. And <clears throat> they, were, they were easily picked up, you know. It was pretty idiot-proof. So definitely props to PopCap for a uh, 10 years of giving us one of the greatest games ever. I mean, one of the most greatest casual games ever, nonetheless. And like I said earlier... How about Rock of the Dead? Not Guitar Hero, not House of the Dead, but a combination of the two coming out for the Wii. Using the Guitar Hero controller, you'll hit the correct note sequence to off approaching zombies. The gameplay is going to be reminiscent of Typing of the Dead. Neil Patrick Harris is going to be voicing the lead character, and Felicia Day will play his love interest. And instead of licensing songs, the riffs are going to be from classical musical pieces that are going to be done in a rock-style format. So I think that um, definitely unique and definitely a little, a little weird, but definitely fitting for the Wii. So keep an eye out for Rock of the Dead. If I get any video, I'll put that up in the near future. Of course, every time there's a big event, Nintendo has to be involved, except this time Nintendo's doing their own event. They are doing a media summit on February 24th in San Francisco, the invitation says it promises a full day of presentations, demos, and hands-on gameplay. No specific games were named, but Nintendo Magazine and Nintendo Power have promised specials for their March issues, leaving us to wonder, can it be Super Mario Galaxy 2, Zelda Wii, maybe Metroid Other M, maybe a new Wii console, maybe the DSXL? Nonetheless, Something big is happening with Nintendo February 24th, so definitely keep your eyes peeled. I will be trying to have some sort of information for the show that week. Hopefully it's something good and not something really lame when they're doing this type of an event. But we'll see what happens. Definitely keep an eye out on MyTakeRadio.com or the forums, or just see what happens in coming shows to see if I can get some information. So we'll see what Nintendo has planned on the 24th. Today, of course, Microsoft had their X10 event, and they took the opportunity to whore out some of their upcoming new titles, um, and they also gave out some release dates to match. Halo Reach's multiplayer demo will be launching May 3rd, and you'll be able to play that if you have a copy of Halo 3 ODST. Dead Rising 2 will release August 31st. Alan Wake will hit shelves on the 18th, and it should be loaded with, you know, tons of shit because I think they're going to do three different versions. I haven't got confirmation on what the versions will consist of, but as of right now, there will be three of them. 
Final Fantasy 13 is going to get a bundle. You'll be able to get a Final Fantasy 13 themed Xbox 360 with a 250 gig hard drive, a standard edition of the game, exclusive downloadable content, and two wireless controllers. That bundle is going to be $400, and you'll be able to get that March 9th when the game comes out. Now, obviously, the Call of Duty Xbox as well as the Final Fantasy 13 Xbox 360 both include 250 gig hard drives, which obviously means that that will be the next evolution of storage for the Xbox system. Will they be selling it standalone? Will they be allowing people to upgrade? That remains to be seen. They also took the opportunity to announce that Microsoft's Game Room as well as Perfect Dark Xbox Live will be coming out in March. And last but not least, Lost Planet 2 will be coming out May 18th. And we got another caller. You're on the air. What's up, man? What's going on, sir? What do you got? Um, two things. Uh, first, hitting on the whole Bejeweled thing versus the Bejeweled turning 10 and games like Madden coming to Facebook and wherever else being, being apps. It's like you have you have groups on Facebook that are talking about, you know, we're sick and tired of we don't give a fuck about your farm or your mafia or your zombies or your werewolves or whatever. Because people really are sick and tired of that shit despite the mass of people that still play it every day. I mean, I have a coworker who basically fucks up her schedule and comes off of her breaks and her lunch is late because she's sitting in the fucking lounge playing Farmville. <laughs> and I'm not exaggerating funny. at all. That's the dead that's the dead truth. Well, it's like I gotta I gotta tell her to get back on the fucking phone, otherwise managers will come looking for her. Well you know what it is? Farm uh, here's the funny thing with Farmville Farmville is just a, a simplistic version of 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 the Sims. It's really all it is. You got your virtual farmer, you plant your virtual crops that you got to check on and make sure they don't die, and blah, blah, blah. I mean, look, the, uh, casual gaming has its place, and Facebook figured out a way to make it successful. It's one of the reasons that Facebook is killing MySpace. It's, you know, it's a social integration platform, it's a communication platform, it's a connection platform, and they also want to make it a casual gaming platform. I don't have any issue with that. What I don't like is the fact that they it's forced onto you like i don't really like i have to go and block people's updates because it'll be a page of somebody got the secret ribbon in farmville i have golden eggs my cow wears a referee shirt i have a burberry chicken it's like oh give a shit exactly that's the annoying thing when it gets to that stage it becomes more of an annoyance than than anything else But that's what I'm saying. We what happened in the old days where casual games are fucking bejeweled and and super collapse and shit like that. Things that you could play, you could play all day, but you really, I mean, because you can't pause it and things like that. You're only gonna play it for a few minutes, and then you're gonna go about your business. Well, it is unfortunate, but you know what it is. It's like anything else. This is the next evolution of casual gaming. 
you know, the iPhone kind of started that the ball rolling, you know, with a lot of the game offerings that they had. You know, I play checkers on the iPhone. I play this game called Throw Paper, which is, and it, this is the most simplistic shit ever. You guide a ball of paper and throw it into a wastebasket. But That's the it. whole thing is, these are games that are taking a place of bigger games like WoW and shit like that. And you always have people complaining. People are wasting their lives away playing WoW and playing all these console games. But now you got these casual games that are doing the same fucking thing. And the people who are complaining are the ones that are playing. Well, you know what that is? That's called pot, meat, kettle. Hi, we're black. You know, that's what it is. It's, it's pretty much they found a way to take the, the, the people, the casual complainers, and create casual gamers. They did it with the, they, you know, it started with the Wii, and then it snowballed into Facebook, and then it snowballed into the iPhone, and pretty soon, everyone is going to be a gamer in some shape, way, or form. And you know who wins? The companies win. And in some respects, we win too, because it gives you more people that share common interests. Because you think about it, I'm sure at least once or twice it's happening. Somebody has said to you, aren't you too old to be playing video games? And those people at your job that said that to you, what are they doing today? They're fucking oh, playing Farmville on Facebook. It, it is, it, like I said, it's pot, meat, kettle. That's all it is. And then with these oh. freaking, I'm sorry, you guys are no, called? No, oh. that. Then you got this shit with the the um, new Xbox is coming out with the 250 gigabyte hard drive. Yeah, you let's punch it with going. the game that you know everybody's gonna buy because we yep. can't sell the fucking hard drive any other way. Well, this is this is what I was saying. It's the natural progression. Remember that they slowly started they, they started leaking out the 160 gig hard drive, and before you knew it. You, had, you, you were able to buy the hard drive standalone. They're really just sneaking it out quietly to test out the waters. They're going to see how many units they move with the 250-gig hard drive, and if it's going to be the Final Fantasy thirteen factor or the Xbox with the bigger hard drive factor that's going to move more units. Based on how it does, Microsoft is going to then take the opportunity and throw the, you know, throw the hard drive out there loose. That's just the way it is. I mean, it's sound marketing. It's just the fact that the hard drive is going to cost an arm and a leg. I wouldn't give a shit if a hard drive was, you know, $110 or 80 bucks. I wouldn't care. But you know it's not going to be. Nope. No, it's not. A 250-gig hard drive in Microsoft prices is probably going to be like 200 bucks. Exactly. Dollar a gig. Pretty much. Anything else, my friend? Not right now, man. I'll let you get back in case the uh, the guest calls in. But I'll probably call back later. Oh yeah, you're gonna you're gonna love the movie segment. That's all I have to say. Sure. All right, buddy. Thanks Actually, for your I call. have to call in on the movie section because you know what I've seen this week. Oh yeah, definitely. You have to call in for that for sure. All right, buddy. Uh, I'll talk to you later, man. Thanks. All right, and of course. To stay with the Lost Planet news, which comes out the 18th, they added a new set of characters. Besides the fact that you can play as Marcus Phoenix and Dominic Santiago from Gears of War, you will also be getting a skin, which will allow you to play as Albert Wesker from Resident Evil in both campaign and versus mode. 
So you'll be able to play Lost Planet 2 with all the regular Lost Planet characters, but you're also going to be getting Albert Wesker, Marcus Phoenix, and Dominic Santiago. So if you are looking forward to that, May 18th is the date for you. And to close out the video game news, Mega Man 10 finally has a release date. Wii fans are going to get it first. They will get it via WiiWare on March 1st. PSN is going to get it March 11th. And the Xbox 360 has to wait until March 31st to partake in the robot-killing madness. So with that being said, we're going to take one last commercial break and head into the movie segment. You know those shows where they play video game music and they laugh in like really high voices like... <laughs> well, you won't listen to that on our show because uh, we don't have the budget for that kind of thing. We're broke as hell. And uh, nobody really cares that much to laugh that hard. So um, if you're looking for a show like that that has horrible audio quality and uh, void of fake laughter... Video Game News Radio, 11 p.m. Tuesday nights, on all games. And we're back. Let's talk some movies. Lots of Marvel news this week, lots of reboots, lots of bullshit. We'll start off with a Marvel reboot, and that is Daredevil. They're saying that David Scarpa, the guy who wrote uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still, will be writing the script for the Daredevil reboot. Um, originally, they were saying that they wanted somebody more established, but they're going to go with uh, this, not a newcomer, but David Scarpa. You know, the day the earth stood still while it was good, wasn't great. But, of course, the main motivation for a remake of Daredevil is making it similar to Batman Begins. That's what they're going to do, and they're going to, of course, be I- integrating a new creative vision, which, who are the fuck are we kidding? It's another reboot. But hopefully they'll get Daredevil right this time and uh, we won't see Ben Affleck wandering around pretending to be blind. While he wasn't terrible in the movie, there's definitely uh, something about him that just didn't work for the character. In a bit of what-the-fuck news, what does Twilight and Stretch Armstrong have in common, folks? Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? What they have in common, my friends, is Taylor Lautner. Taylor Lautner, who you may know as one of the werewolves in Twilight as Jacob Black, will be playing the title character in Universal Pictures' Stretch Armstrong, which will be coming out in 2012. The movie will be in 3D, and uh, Lautner has already signed on, and it's going to be directed, I can't even believe I'm reading this, it's being directed by Brian Grazer, who is an Oscar winner. He is directing, he went from making A Beautiful Mile, A a Beautiful Mile, A Beautiful Mind, Eight Mile, An American Gangster. He's going to also be working with Steve Odenkirk, who did uh, Bruce Almighty to do the screenplay. So this guy's an Oscar winner. He made three great films, and he's doing Stretch Armstrong? Are you fucking kidding me? Of all the things that you can make movies about, Stretch Armstrong? Why? Why would you do it? Oh, but that's nothing. Universal is also working on doing a movie based on Battleship. So that's the new thing. It's going to be movies based on board games, which means pretty soon we'll have a movie about Clue, a movie about Sorry. We're going to have a medical thriller called Operation. We're going to have 
a uh, suicidal espionage movie called Hangman. Yada, this is what's happening. This is going to be the new thing. Let's do movies based on board games. Let's make a CGI 3D IMAX version of Candyland. Everyone's going to love it. That's what's going to happen. This is it, folks. You heard it here. It's going to be old toys and board game movies. And for those of you that are thinking that, I, that I'm crazy and it's not true, head over to Superhero Hype and see it for yourself. Oof. Now with that out of the way, some more Marvel news. We're going to talk a little bit about Captain America. Uh, the director, Joe Johnston, um, who directed The Wolfman, has been running about at the mouth, so to speak, and giving out a lot of, of great, crucial information about the upcoming Captain America flick. First off, he confirmed that the Red Skull is going to be the main villain. He also said that a lot of the movie is going to be mostly taking place in World War II. And then also, he started discussing the costume, and I was a little, I, I should say annoyed, but not really. I just, I'm, I'm having trouble understanding what they're trying to do. But here's his commentary. I mean, mo those of you in the chat can make of it what you will. Um, if anybody, of course, has any questions or wants to discuss it, 347-324-3541 are the magic digits to discuss this or any of the other things that I've talked about thus far. He said, and I quote, the costume is a flag, but the way we're getting around that is that we have Steve Rogers forced into the USO circuit. After he's made it into the super soldier, they decided that they can't send him into combat and risk him getting killed. He's the only one, and they can't make more. So they say, you're going to be in this USO show, and they give him a flag suit. He can't wait to get out of it. But when he decides to go AWOL, he covers up the suit. But, of course, a few things happen. He realizes that this uniform allows him to lead. By then, he's become a star in the public mind and a symbol. The guys get behind him because he embodies something special. Basically, they're looking at tweaking the costume just a little bit because Section 8D of the flag code states that the flag should never be worn, should never be used as wearing apparel, which, it, which would include Captain America's costume. Johnston goes on to say that the costume changes later in the film. He says in the first USO sequences, the frustrated patriot will be wearing a version that is closer to the classic Jack Kirby design costume. But later, as the super soldier hits the war zone, he'll be wearing a sturdier, more muted fabric that'll make it more battle appropriate. The stripes, are, the stripes across his midsection, for instance, will be straps and not colored fabric. I have a feeling that what's going to happen is they're going to modernize it a little bit. And they're probably going to do it with Captain America wearing the typical red, white, and blue costume for an earlier part of the movie. And then I have a feeling that they're going to switch his costume to the costume worn by Ultimate Captain America, which is, is similar in theme, but not 100% completely flag-looking. So definitely, I can see where they're going with this. I know a lot of people are going to complain, and a lot of people are going to bitch. But you have to take into account, he is taking some things into consideration, such as the realism that you can't wear the flag as apparel. Now, they're, they're going to work around that, and you will see Captain America in red, white, and blue. It's not going to be necessarily the red, white, and blue that we know and love the most. Nonetheless, um, Chud also interviewed Joe Johnston this week, and they were asking him about casting. He said uh, first that Captain America was not going to appear alone and that you may be seeing the invaders as well. 
which includes the following characters, Namor the Submariner, the original Human Torch, Union Jack, Toro, and Bucky. He didn't confirm which members would appear as the invaders, but you may see them in the Captain America movie. Odds are, you're probably going to see the Submariner, you're going to see the Human Torch, since they can jump and pull anybody and put them as the Human Torch for a flashback. You may see Union Jack, and you may see Bucky Barnes briefly. They'll probably kill off Bucky in a flashback and involve the Red Skull somehow. So definitely a cool little bit of nostalgia, including the, the invaders in there. And last but not least, Joe Johnston revealed that he's been casting – he's got the casting broken down to five or six actors between 23 and 32. He hopes to have a decision by March 1st. Reports are saying that three TV actors have read for the part. Thus far, these are the guys that have read. Jensen Ackles from Supernatural and Smallville, Chad Michael Murray from One Tree Hill, and Ryan McPartin from Chuck. Although, but McPartin may be the one who may be odd man out because he's 35, and he's looking for a, a guy between 23 and 32. Thus far, I, I honestly think probably Jensen Ackles would work as Captain America. Chad Michael Murray's a little too emo-looking and too pretty boy-looking for me. I mean, honestly... If I, if I were the one making the movie, I'd, make, I'd get one young, scrawny guy to play Steve Rogers for the duration and then put, you know, some big jack dude in the costume to play Captain America. You know, it, it, would, be, it would be fitting just because you can see the transformation. Who would it be? Don't know. But, I mean, having these TV guys works well because you don't have to pay them a lot and you can sign them on for a lot of movies. But Jensen Ackles... Might work. Like I said, not so sure about Chad Michael Murray, but that's going to wrap up the uh, little bit of Captain America news. Let's talk some box office numbers. Avatar is no longer number one, and you won't even believe who defeated it. Avatar was defeated by Dear John. Dear John with G.I. Joe's Channing Tatum knocked out um, Avatar this week, and it debuted at $32.4 million. It had the highest per theater average, and it had the highest average of any film in the top ten. Nonetheless, um, Avatar dropped to number two. It earned another $23.6 million. It made its eight-week total of $630 million. From Paris with Love debuted at number three. Edge of Darkness debuted at four. Tooth Fairy was at five. When in Rome was six. Book of Eli was seven. Crazy Heart, which was 14 last week. Jumped up to number eight this week. Legion dropped to number nine. And Sherlock Holmes continues to hold on in the top ten. I'm more than sure that Slick will be calling in later on in the broadcast because he had the opportunity to see Avatar, and he will be sharing his thoughts with us. Also, just when you thought I couldn't talk about any crazier shit that's getting rebooted, they're going to reboot a five-year-old movie. You know what movie that is? Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Yeah, you know that movie with Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie that was really cool and set up for them adopting thousands of kids and blah, blah, blah? Yeah. Mr. and Mrs. Smith will now be Mr. and Mrs. Jones. It's not going to be a sequel. It's not going to be a prequel. It's a remake. The new version is going to focus on a pair of spies that come out of the academy and are teamed up as a fake married couple. I got that little bit of news from Empire Online, and it's, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, 
I can sit here and piss and moan about all these other remakes, but you know, when you're digging in the crates and making a remake of a movie that's five years old, five, it hasn't even exceeded its shelf life of 10 years or 20 years, five. Five years already rebooted. What the fuck are you doing? Mr. and Mrs. Smith was a good movie. It wasn't the greatest movie ever, but it's not a movie that's so good that it warrants a remake. There's tons of other mil- movies you can do. There's tons of other franchises to milk. There's tons of other comic books, excuse me, and literary works to make. Why reboot a five-year-old movie? It makes absolutely no sense. I think that it, it, it basically shits in the face of Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie because it's like, all right, you made this movie. It was moderately successful. But you know what? We're going to remake it and hope that it does better than the original. I don't think it's really something that they're going to really want to do, but I really didn't appreciate the fact that they're going to such great lengths and they're going to change the name and call it Mr. and Mrs. Jones to make people think it's something new, but it's not. It's just a remake of good old Mr. and Mrs. Smith. And here's a bit of news that may make a lot of you excited. Of course, Christopher Nolan, you know, did The Dark Knight. Batman Begins had great vision, great pretty much presentation of the Batman universe on film thus far. And in terms of, uh, not saying that the other Batman movies weren't good, but in terms of making these Batman movies more realistic, just he's done a fantastic job. But it's been reported that Warner Brothers is turning to Christopher Nolan to mentor the newest version of Superman. So the guy who did fucking Batman and made it successful is going to be involved in creating Superman. Well, whatever Superman reboot they plan on doing. Of course, Superman Returns was the last Superman film that came out. The film cost $270 million. It grossed $391 million worldwide. To DC, it wasn't seen as a hit. Warner Brothers didn't see it as a hit either. But... In terms of injecting Nolan into the franchise, it's going to generate some buzz. In addition to that, the, uh, they're going to do a completely fresh franchise. They're going to work with some of the more veteran comic book writers, and they're going to try and come up with a better take on Superman, and Christopher Nolan is going to be mentoring the overall franchise and helping it grow to present a more accurate depiction of Superman. Now this, I think, will be a good thing. I think that Nolan has great vision. He understands how to bring an air of realism to these characters. He also adds a a, a little bit of humanity to them. It's not just Batman out for revenge and Batman out for justice. You know, he added added some life to the character. He added little quips and little things here and there, which was really cool. I think that the way he made the Joker and, and, and what he did with Harvey Dent was fantastic. And I think... That Superman's character, while many people consider him to be vanilla, if you really dig deep, you can probably get a great story out of it. You know, you got this guy, he's tortured for all intents and purposes and having to live two lives. You know, the duality of it, the fact that as Clark Kent, you know, he loves Lois Lane, but she loves Superman. You can do all that. You can do the dynamic between Superman and Lex Luthor and get into that really deep. You can bring in a a character like Brainiac if you want to do something with special effects. 
you know, just don't go crazy and bring Doomsday in. But definitely you can have Lex Luthor as the pivotal centerpiece of your film and bring in a bad guy who can, you know, take take the beating from Superman. You know, a guy like um, Metallo, things of that nature. Not Doomsday, but, you know, Metallo you can do. Uh, you can do Gog. You can do Bizarro. You can Actually, you can do Lex Luthor, have him you know, mess around and bring Bizarro into our time. Keep it really simple, really formulaic, but, but add some great story to it, and I think that you can make a really good Superman movie. You don't need to go fucking crazy and bring in all these A-list actors and all this stuff. One of the things that disturbed me about Superman Returns, besides the fact that they changed the costume and they gave Superman a kid, was Kevin Spacey as Lex Luthor, which I noticed that they were talking about in the chat. Kevin Spacey as Lex Luthor wasn't Kevin Spacey playing Lex Luthor. It was Kevin Spacey impersonating Gene Hackman playing Lex Luthor. He didn't make Lex Luthor his own character. He proceeded to go and, you know, pretty much mimic Gene Hackman and add a little bit of sinister to it. But it wasn't, it wasn't his own character. He seemed uncomfortable, and he didn't make the character his own. If you do want to continue making Spacey... Lex Luthor, give him some comic books. Give him Lex Luthor, Man of Steel, or Lex Luthor, Man of Tomorrow. Let him read that. Watch a couple of episodes of fucking Smallville. Learn the nuances of the character so that it can translate well into screen. I think by doing that, it would be successful. That's the best way to do it. Spacey wasn't great, but he wasn't great because he was impersonating another actor. You can't see Heath Ledger when he played the Joker, he did it right. He didn't impersonate Jack Nicholson. He didn't try to be Cesar Romero. <clears throat> Excuse me. He made it his own character. He added his own spin on it, and I think that that's what needs to be done with Superman. You know, let these guys build it from the ground up and read the books, folks. It's that simple. The shit writes itself. Read the fucking books. That's it. With that said, I think Slick is going to call in with his review of Avatar. Before we go into the rest of the movie news, I believe he's on the line. Let's take his call. Slick, you're on the air. What do you got, sir? Yeah, I'm going to touch on pretty much all of this stuff here. First on Captain America, who in the Marvel Universe is one of my less favorite characters, just I just feel like he's too much of a goody two-shoes, but I did like, I forgot when it came out, like the late 80s, early 90s, one of the last Captain America movies, which did have Red Skull, and Jansen Ackles is a really good pick for him because he has like a husky voice and he's a wise-cracking asshole. So he could actually be a really good Captain America I actually think Jared Padalecki physically would be a better Captain America who's the other Winchester brother in Supernatural. But he has too much of like a pretty boy, sort of like a, a kid-looking face. And Right, he does. He does look very beautiful. Yeah, yeah, Ackles just fits the, the war veteran type Captain America look better. But if he is going to be Captain America... It's a movie I would go see and have, you know, decent hopes for. Well, you know what it is? I know you don't like, 
but before you move on, I don't, I know why you don't like Captain America, and I and I get it. But see, the problem is that when you're dealing with with um, a Marvel Universe franchise, and you're dealing with you know a a a very rah 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 USA mentality, Captain America is the most fitting character to make a movie about. You know, we're in a we're in, we're in a we're in a state where. Every, the, the world hates us for being Americans. They hate our freedoms. They hate our liberties. I'm not going to go into a political rant about it, but the fact is that there are certain movies that, while, yeah, they are cookie-cutter and they are vanilla, they need to be made just to convey a message. And Captain America is a, a character that transcends countries. He transcends races. He transcends everything because he's considered just a symbol of liberty. He's considered, you know, yeah, he's a Boy Scout, but so is Superman. But, boy, you could, you could draw that S in the fucking dirt in the middle of Afghanistan, and a fucking guy over there with a towel on his head will know what that is. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's one of those things, it's, it's iconic. And, you know, I think in order for Avengers to be successful, Captain America the movie needs to be out. I'm I honestly think it should have been even out I don't, I don't, Even though I don't care for the character that much, the movie itself I think could be a great movie, especially with that actor in the role. Right, and if that's you know if that's definite, I'm looking forward to the movie. The same thing with Superman. I can't stand Superman the character, but I usually do like the movies. And I mean, as as dumb as as it was, I mean, I I kind of like the last Superman movie. It could have been much better. And you mentioned a lot of a lot of um, Superman villains, of course. Luthor being the main one because he's he like the to. exact opposite <laughs> of Superman. But while I think Luthor definitely should be in a whatever reboot or remake they do, the one character you didn't mention that I think they should, they can have a real knockdown, drag out, not doomsday fight, Darkseid. You know, Darkseid would be good, but here's the thing. For Darkseid to be a pivotal character in the Superman universe, he needs to be established. And you know what? With, with a movie already out there like Green Lantern that, that's in the works and the Flash movie, you can kind of start setting, sowing the seeds for his presence. Like, oh yeah, you know, Superman thinks he's a tough guy. You know, you can have them talking like in, in jail and, you know, the supervillains be like, ah, Superman thinks he's bad, but he's got nothing on dark side. You know, and just keep the name out there. You don't have to go crazy. Just, just subtle, subtle things here and there. Like, oh, shit, that's a boom tube. That's from Apocalypse. And things of that nature. That's, the, you know, a slow burn, and then, boom, you drop him into a movie, and you make Superman fight Darkseid. That'll be fantastic. The problem is that Darkseid is a character that can suffer from the Venom effect, where it'll be too much too soon, and they'll fuck it up. That's the only, that's the only hesitation I have with that suggestion. You're right, but the thing that I have with... with why I say Darkseid would be a good pick, even if it's, like, done properly and done, like, over two films instead of the Venom effect, is that you have Darkseid. You have somebody that can pretty much beat Superman to death, do what Doomsday would do, but he's not, like, a brainless monster like Doomsday usually is because, you know, on and off he has intelligence. Yep. He's, like... He's a, su- a supervillain with an intellect above Lex Luthor. Yep. 
and he has, he's got he has all the powers that Lex Luthor. Right, he has all the powers Lex Luthor wants. That's all it is. And and, and you're right. He he would translate well into film. It's just a like I said. My I'm so hesitant just on the basis that that you know you and this is my thing. You can't give Hollywood too much too soon. Because they, they, they fucking, they cream in their pants and they don't know what to do. They're like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? It's, you know, the, the Joker said it best. You know, I chase cars, and if I caught one, I wouldn't know what to do with it. it, it the, same yeah. thing applies to, the same thing applies to comic book movies. You've got to give Hollywood nuggets. You've got to give them bits of information. You give them the whole book, they're going to want to throw everything from the book in the movie. You've got to leave little things out, and you've got to add little things. But you can't go too crazy. Otherwise, it, it, you're looking, you're inviting the movie to fail. Well, that's where the whole thing with you saying, um, what's the name, Nolan mentoring and the whole cut, the whole way Batman begins and the Dark Knight were done, you could pretty much work it out pretty easily because you could do one Superman movie that has Lex Luthor and, like you said, have the mention of Darkseid at any number of points in the movie and do Darkseid yep. in the second movie by making a slightly longer movie than two hours, which is what they did with The Dark Knight. Because really in Batman Begins, the only mention of the Joker was a card at the end of the movie. Yep, that was it. But that's it. That's what I'm saying. But see, you need a guy like Nolan that understands the subtleties. That's the thing. Like, there's directors, they're good for in-your-face special effects. They're good for... You got... Special effects guys that are special effects driven directors. You got like Michael Bay. You got guys that are, you know, storyline intensive that look at all the small details. Christopher Nolan. You got guys that are all about a heavy mixture of artistic and storytelling. Zack Snyder. You know, you can run down the list and you'll see these strengths in a lot of these guys. The, the problem is that it's just a matter of finding the right director to fit with the right project. That's all it is. Like, Michael Bay can't make Superman. You know? But, no. but, Michael, but Michael Bay would probably make a kick-ass Terminator film. You know, just yeah, on the strength of blowing... One. Exactly. Just on the strength of special effects and blowing shit up. Because if you watch a movie like The Island, he can do futuristic stories really well. And he likes to do the special effects and shit really good. And those are movies that are that are so intensely dependent on it that I can see him being a fit for that. But, you know, you can't have that guy do that type of a film. That's why when they were like, oh, Michael Bay will do Spider-Man. Nope, can't do it. Because that's what it is. But we can sit on this all night. What else you got, my friend? I know you want to, you got to talk Avatar, and I know I had uh, given people the tease. Yeah, because basically the thing with Avatar is it's in no way a bad movie. Okay. It just, one, is not worth the hype that it got. Okay. Two, it's yeah. absolutely not worth a, a nomination for Best Picture. It definitely okay. is something to see. Like, when I would ask people, why... why are you keep pushing? Why do you keep pushing me? Why must I see Avatar? Oh, you just got to see it. It's the truth. The movie is beautiful. Visually. There's nothing special about it otherwise. Well, you know what? Avatar has been told over and over and over again. 
during the period well, of time that James Cameron was trying to develop it. Well, you know what? Avatar, to me, it was a, is a solid film. But Oscar worthy? No, I think if any if any film should get an Oscar should get the Oscar should be The Hurt Locker, which definitely you got to put on your view list. It is oh, a it's Oscar a, worthy for best visual effects. A, there you go. There you go. For best visual effects is right, but in terms of storyline. Watching Avatar, you're watching Fern Gully, you're watching every movie where, oh my God, they're destroying our homeland and we revolt and fight back. You're watching the story of the Indians and the fucking pilgrims. Oh yeah, one thing about you um, saying that because of the the box office results, is gonna be uh, it's gonna be a trilogy. After seeing the movie, come on now, they they planned on making a fucking at least one sequel. Right off the back, anybody who's seen the movie and see the end of the movie, they wanted to continue that shit. Oh yeah, of course. Well, you know what it is. You know that that movie has Lord of the Rings epic written all over it. And the reasoning why I had wanted you to see it, and you know why, why, why you know you did. It wasn't even because I I wanted you to see it from the standpoint of you have to see it, but because I knew you'd be able to give a critical viewpoint versus you wouldn't be you you wouldn't become enamored with the special effects. Like some people are like, Oh, it's so beautiful and they don't look beyond that at the story. You looked at it like that. You looked at the fact that the movie was beautiful but it's a story that's been recycled over and over and over. Yeah, I'm gonna try to get a full review of the site before the weekend is out. Oh, that would be fantastic, dude. But um All right. Yeah, I mean, I I would say to anybody, see it whenever the hell you want to see it. There you go. And I personally hope that they hold off the video release at least until the supposed firm, firmware update for the PS3 to give it 3D technology comes out. That'll be this because, summer, which is, about, I mean, the movie, which is about right. The movie looks great. In 2D, I'm sure it looks amazing in 3D. There you go. All right, so to wrap up your review, do you recommend it? I say it's something to see. Don't waste your money running out to IMAX. See it however the hell you want to see it. See it whatever the hell you want to see it. It's not the end-all, be-all of anything, but it's a good family movie. All right. What did that? What'd you say? Seven out of ten? Yeah, I give it a seven out of ten. All right. There you go. All right, folks. If you sometime this week, you'll stop by mytakeradio.com and you can catch Slick's uh, detailed review. Sound good? Sounds good to me. All right, brother. Thanks All for right, calling. I'll talk to you later. Yes, sir. All right. We got another caller on. Hello? Let's see. Waffles. What's up? What's up? How's it going, man? What do you got, sir? Alright. Well, first off, Slick basically said every, almost basically everything I wanted to say about the Captain America movie. Okay. Okay. Well, but one thing they shouldn't do, don't change the storyline. Like, when you change the storyline of something that's been around for years and many years, it's basically not the same thing. You cannot really call it Captain America. Like, he is 
a war veteran, how are you going to change that? And you, what, you said it, they're going to put him in the... They're going to make him... A, they're going to make him a USO performer after he becomes Captain America because they're hesitant about putting him in battle. So they figure, you know, you tour with the USO, you give motivation to the troops, and he realizes that that's not something he wants to do. He goes AWOL and, you know, ends up becoming, you know, the symbol of liberty that we know him as. I mean, it's, it's somewhat close to the book. I mean, the whole USO performer thing, definitely not something that, that I'm really looking forward to. But who knows? It may translate well. It's just a matter of how they do it, and if they don't make it hokey, you know. You mean, well, yeah, you could say that. But then, all right. Well, here's another thing, though, that you mentioned. With that storyline already going through, how is it that they're gonna put some of those people from the Invaders in it and just skip Bucky completely? Bucky was a huge part of Cap's life. Cap also became Cap, who he was because of Bucky as well. It's been mentioned well, in the comments. Well, I'm more than sure they're going to have to reference Bucky, but what is going to happen is the the beauty of flashbacks. You know, like, I'm more than sure that the whole Red, like Red Skull being involved is going to somehow involve the death of Bucky, which is going to, you know, be a, a focal point in the story. I don't know how far they've gone into the script with it, you know, based on the information I, I've read, but the invaders can be something which can be something that you can do for five minutes, or for half an hour of the movie. It's just a matter of what you want to add them on. What you could do probably is Captain America goes AWOL, and then they fast-forward through time a little bit, and they show him with the invaders and doing stuff and Bucky dying, and then, you know, kind of brings us up to now. That would be the best way of just squeezing it in there without consuming so much time, you know? Well, it would, but then that would also ruin the whole Marvel series because look how they did Iron Man, like, a new Incredible Hulk one, like how they're doing that, they really didn't skip scenes. If you do that with the Cat movie, that really just destroys the storyline as well. Like what happened oh, in, in that, between? Well, yeah, yes and no, because if you watched, the, if you saw the Incredible Hulk, they 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 used his origin in flashback because they didn't acknowledge the first movie. When you see the first movie during the credits, they're showing him becoming the Hulk and the whole process just with Edward Norton instead of uh, Eric Banner. The well, flashback was there, but it was, like I said, it's all about something that you either do for five minutes or for five hours, you know? Okay. But here's one thing. Like, the way how movies, like how they're making all these reboots and all that, like I'm going to be moving in between movies, like the subject now, but with the cat movie and then like other reboot movies, Hollywood has to come up with better ideas. And like now, I think the Marvel series should be done animated. I don't know. Live action is just not working out. But you said they're going to make another Daredevil. Yeah. They really have to work that. hard on that. They really, really have to work hard on that after Ben Affleck failed with it. Well, <laughs> you, you know, have... Daredevil's not a guy that's fucking... He's not that... I mean, he's cool and shit, but he's a, he's a, he's a blind Spider-Man. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't want to be, I don't want to be foul, but Daredevil's handicapped Spider-Man. That's what he is. It's like Spider-Man that sells pencils. It's it's fucked up, but you got to look at it like this: Daredevil would have been well suited to appear in a Spider-Man movie, not have his own, unless people ask for it. Like, oh man, it'd be cool if Daredevil got his own film. Nobody asked for that. 
There was nobody out there saying, do you think we should have a movie? No one. Zero. Zip. No one cared. The only cool redeeming factor of Daredevil was Bullseye. That was it. And for that, you can just as easily put Bullseye in Spider-Man with Daredevil real quick. You know, for like yeah, 20 they minutes. Have, they have, they, you got a point there. Daredevil would be better with Spider-Man because he can't really be alone in his own movie. And he has worked with Spider-Man before, so that's one thing they can work on. Instead of making a reboot of Spider-Man, try to just change something and bring something new, at least. That's it. I mean, you know, you can just as easily um, have, put it like this. Say you didn't kill off the Green Goblin, and a Green Goblin gets arrested. Who should be his lawyer? Matt Murdock. Because the Green Goblin has no money. There you go. Who's Matt Murdock? Oh, Matt Murdock is there. Well, you know, and just, that's all the little setup you need. That's what, that's what I always say. It's less is more. You know, just, just a little thing. Oh, snap, it's Matt Murdock. Oh, I know who that is, and boom, there you go. That's all it takes, you know. That's why, I, I, like, comic book movies are, they're not rocket science. They're written, and the formulas are there. You just have to just pluck out little nuggets that you can put together to make one movie. It's not difficult. Well, one thing, that, do you agree with me saying that it would be better making an animated version instead of just going with the live? Depends on the character. Some characters definitely will translate well. I think special effects heavy characters will translate well animated. Definitely. There, and you can even do animated movies on characters that aren't so major. Like you, could do, like, you could do an animated Daredevil flick and just use the same art style that they used to use for Spawn the Animated Series. That would work. And then you can just do something like that, and that way if it bombs, it's animated. It didn't cost as much. That's yeah. all. I agree in some respects, but you have to pick and choose the characters. I would do animated movies on smaller characters. Like, I would honestly do an animated movie about Ant-Man instead of a live-action movie about Ant-Man. Because no one cares. No one has to see that. It's true. You're right. <laughs> there you go. Anything else, my friend? Um, Superman. Sure. Oh. I'm, one thing, I'm glad you agree with me. Kevin Spacey did an awful job as Lex. He did, but only because he was doing an impersonation. It wasn't That's his character. True. And then also, we got to pick a better Superman. The reason I also hated Superman Returns, how the hell are you going to get someone that looks scrawny, like weak? Superman is supposed to be a li- at least a little bit built and not you, that emotional. Come on, that was an emo movie. It was, but you know, here's the thing. The natural order of things, and I, and I know some people will agree or disagree, but I don't give a fuck. <laughs> the fact of the matter is <laughs> that you should just transition Tom Welling from Smallville into Superman. That's it. It's really not that hard. The guy's already established himself as Superman on TV. Just move him up. Here you go, dude. You're Superman now. Oh, I don't want to do Superman anymore. Right. And what else are you going to make? That, that's it. There's certain, there certain people that they, they, they have to accept that they're good at that. Tobey Maguire can either be three things, a horse jockey, Spider-Man, or a hobbit. That's it. Tobey Maguire, has, as an actor, he has no other redeeming quality. I hate to say it because the guy's a, a good actor. But that's how I see him, riding a horse because he's little, 
as a hobbit because he can he can play a hobbit with Elijah Wood and the rest of them, or a Spider-Man. How are you going to make the most money? It sure as hell isn't as a hobbit because they haven't made another Lord of the Rings, and no one cares about movies with stupid horses. You know, stick with what you know. It's what you're good at. Same thing goes with Tom Welling. Dude, you're, you're Superman. You are. Yeah, don't get me wrong. You wear a stupid black T-shirt with an S on it and a coat. But at some point, you're going to wear that red and blue uniform. Why not just wear, it, wear the uniform with a lot more zeros behind the paycheck? That's it. Why, why not just go full on and just be like, dude, I'll do Superman. You know how much money I'm going to get? That's it. Exactly, but I mean, that's another thing like Hollywood needs to start doing too. Listen to the fans. Yeah, they listen to the fans when we don't go to the movies. That's how we're gonna have to start doing it. That's exactly. it. Anything uh, else, my that, friend? No, that's it. That's all I got. Like I said, I oh, well. basically said most of it. <laughs> there you go. Well, stick around because it's gonna get a lot better. All right. All right. Cool. You got yeah. it, buddy. Yeah. Later. Later. See, everybody seems to have good and bad viewpoints with all of these all of these reboots and all of these remakes. But gets better, folks. Wouldn't be a movie segment with more sequel news. Paramount Pictures has recently announced that Mission Impossible 4 is a go. It's going to be produced by Tom Cruise, J.J. Abrams, and Bad Robot Productions. Tom Cruise will be returning as Ethan Hunt, and you can expect to see that Memorial Day 2011. Uh, Paramount... Paramount Chairman and CEO Brad Gray said that Tom and J.J. Abrams are great talents and are excited to be working with them to relaunch this legendary franchise. Uh, Mission Impossible, it w- I have no issues with that franchise just because it wasn't trying to be like the TV show. They kept little things in there, but it, it became its own franchise, which was good. And I personally, I like the third movie because of the good acting. I like the second one because John Woo was involved and there was tons of great gunfights and really crazy special effects and flying birds because no John Woo movie is complete without doves flying in slow-mo and double gun shooting action. So I honestly think each movie um, from the Mission, Impo- Mission Impossible franchise had their own special thing about it. I think the first one set a great story. It was really, um, really detailed, had a born identity uh, vibe to it. The second one was more action-packed, more intense, you know, more of a popcorn flick. The third one was a healthy mix of the two, and I felt that the third one had a lot of, um, a lot better acting from Philip Seymour Hoffman as well as from Tom Cruise. So I really have no issues with a fourth one, but if they're going to do CGI special effects with Tom Cruise, don't make any more because it's going to become really obvious. I mean, it was bad in part two. It's going to look worse in part four. So, I'm not totally against it, but eh, not something I'm excited for. And, of course, some Spider-Man news. Spider-Man the reboot is going to be in 3D, and it will come out July 3rd, 2012. As of right now, the only thing we know is that Mark Webb, the guy who directed 500 Days of Summer, is directing, and it's based on a screenplay from James Vanderbilt. Production will begin later on this year. And casting will probably be finalized over the summer. Who will be playing Spider-Man? Who knows? Right now, rumors are the guy from Percy Jackson and the Olympians, and Robert Pattinson is also rumored. Um, Honestly, 
if you're going to go with anybody, go with Percy Jackson. The, 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 the kid's young enough. He's high school looking. He has, you know, he's of high school age. And I'm more than sure it'll translate better. And as of right now, like I said, I'm not going to go on a rant on hating the franchise. It could be well-written. It could be well-directed. It could even be well-casted. But it, it didn't have to come to this, and it's for the reasons that I've discussed in prior broadcasts. Of course, more sequel news. How about The Hangover? How about The Hangover 2? Bradley Cooper recently confirmed in an interview that the, Brad, that the Hangover sequel is a go. Director Todd Phillips and the cast have agreed on a location and a storyline. Uh, Bradley Cooper, Ed Helms, Zach Galifianakis, and Justin Barker uh, would not agree to a sequel unless it was a good idea. Cooper made the following comments. The four of us got together and toyed around with the idea of where it was going to be and what happens, and Todd Phillips came up with this hilarious opening that I hope stays. There we go. And the last bit of reboot news, the Griswolds. You may know them from National Lampoon's Vacation, but know them now as a rebooted franchise. The film is going to be returning to its roots, and it's going to follow Rusty, the son of Clark Griswold, taking his family on a trip to Wally World before it closes down. While there is no confirmation, you know that probably Chevy Chase and Beverly D'Angelo will reprise their roles as Clark and Ellen Griswold. So with that being said, um, National Lampoon will be making a return. They're going to drop the Lampoon name, and it's probably just going to be known as uh, the Griswolds or the Griswolds Vacation, but it will be dropping the Lampoon name out of the title. So with that being said, there's another remake to look forward to, a remake of National Lampoon's Vacation. It has potential. I'm not going to shit on it. I'll wait. And last but not least, for those of you excited about a potential the third Batman, Chris Nolan confirmed today that there will be a third Batman, and it has already started going into development. No casting or plot details have been confirmed, and it's not even known if Christian Bale will be coming back for a third movie, but I'm more than sure he will. So with that, Chris Nolan's involved in Superman. We're getting a third Batman. The Griswolds are coming back. Spidey's going to be in 3D. Slick-liked Avatar, all is right in the universe. And with that said, folks, that concludes the movie news, and that concludes this week's show. Just want to give a couple of plugs out before we wrap it all up. Shout-out to MMAHotStuff.com. Uh, Rachel, her husband, well, her soon-to-be husband, Phil, will be fighting for Strike Force at the end of the month. I'm hoping that she will be able to come on with him to promote the event. Uh, wishing Phil the best of luck in his fight. Um, check out Rachel's other project, MMASocialites.com. Shout out to MrMMA.com, Darksiders.com, Hayden Dalton. Uh, you can check out his site at HaydenDalton.wordpress.com, uh, VGN Radio. Um, I messed up the link for Royal Tresses, so I'm apologizing to them right now. Uh, I got to get the right link so I can give the right address so people can go and pick up her uh, beadcraft. Uh, Cleveland Sports Radio, as always, gets a shout-out. Born Stubber Radio and their insane commercial. Uh, 411 Mania for their great wrestling news, OC Remix. Of course, for the music of the show and all the other intros that I have used since my take radio returned to the air. Uh, E10Clothing.com, MMA Junkie, of course. Eraclothing.com. Uh, shout-out to MMAValor.com, who have been supporting the show recently. Um, 
via Twitter as well as popping into the show on occasion. Um, shout out also to MMAGospel.com that you can listen to on Wednesdays on the Blog Talk Radio Network from 8 to 10 p.m. And with that, you just heard My Take Radio episode 30 for Thursday, February 11, 2010. If you want to email me, you can hit me up at mtrhost at gmail.com with questions and comments. You can follow me on Twitter, twitter.com slash akuma25, A-K-U-M-A, the number 25. Or you can follow the My Take Radio Twitter feed at twitter.com slash mytakeradio. You can also look for My Take Radio on MySpace as well as Facebook with the Facebook fan page. And with that, we're going to wrap it up and hit the outro. Thanks again to all the callers. Thanks again for listening, and I will catch you guys next week. Peace. Rip, yeah.